Hello there, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny. For those of you that are new, I want to introduce you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's a flip book that you can read. Very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. It answers many difficult questions with some answers that are exceptional and unique. Also, all the print highlighted in red are links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing, showing from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here above. So check that out. There's also videos there which would be a message to people from whatever background they are, from around the world, that answers these very hard questions, that points towards ultimate meaning and purpose and destiny that is highly confirmed by objective evidence, as well as many lives from many backgrounds totally transformed from some of the worst criminals becoming saints and the most noblest and all in between. So you can check those videos out. But this is a message for those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. Which means a high quality of life that is ever enlarging without end in pleasures of fulfillment that are unique to you and your particular creativity that fits in with this beautiful mosaic of the family in heaven. I've written a book on the afterlife titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. In fact, I have it here and I can show it to you. Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. You can get this on Amazon. It's a large six by nine paperback, 368 pages. And you will find it exceptional compared to even the bestsellers. It is filled with far more answers. Check it out. It doesn't have any star ratings because I haven't advertised it. But as time goes on, I believe that will change. But the afterlife points to irrefutable evidence that your life has ultimate meaning and destiny. That you can have a hope beyond anything that you could imagine. You see, the reason for all things in this world is love. And the source of love is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of that love that is the very source of love, which is who the one true eternal God is. And I just briefly introduce to those that are new here the one true eternal God. First of all, genuine love has complete integrity it must be pure it cannot condone what is contrary to love the moment that happens it is no longer genuinely love 
this love is beyond feeling. It certainly can include feeling. This love is a quality that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is the very opposite of corruption. In fact, it is the destroyer of corruption, the antithesis of corruption. Only a love that is completely pure can be entrusted with unlimited life, authority, and power without using it in a way that is corrupt or being corrupted by it, thus indicative of being the very source, which is who only the one true eternal God could be in the purity of his love, which is his holiness, or the holiness of his love, if you will, the defensive aspect of love. It is represented in the negative symbol in mathematics and electricity. All of nature is filled and put together by negatives and positives. And the negative symbol represents an indestructible foundation of reality. In fact, the word truth means that which is real or reality. And the word reality in various dictionaries is defined as that which is indestructible, absolute, and immovable. And such is the quality of this love because it is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption. In fact, hypothetically, if the theory of evolution was true, which it isn't because every field of science is fully expose the mastery of its deception and lies in these days. You only have to go to Genesis Science Network, which is at genesisscience.org. It's a link on both of my websites, one at ultimatemeaning.com and the other at loverelies.com. 24-hour documentaries there with scientists around the world exposing from genetics and astronomy and every field of science the absolute bankrupt state of the theory of evolution because of the amazing discoveries that have happened. So I'm here to point you to the source of creation, which is love. In first of all this negative symbol, which represents an indestructible foundation and the cutting off of all corruption. And it is from the negative symbol that is formed the positive symbol, which so happens to be the last letter of the alphabet, just as the symbol of the cross is drawn today, which was in the most ancient language going, languages going back to 2000 BC, 1500 BC, the Hebrew language, the Phoenician language, and so on. And that last letter of the alphabet meant a sign or symbol. So it goes way back beyond the time of what is now known as Christianity, which uses the symbol of the cross. But what does that positive symbol represent? It represents the other aspect of this love, that this love is transcendent. It is so great and ultimate in its perfection that this love could take judgment upon it upon itself. Yes, God became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. He humbled himself more than you a mere creature. He suffered more than you a mere creature on the cross. Well, you only have to uh, 
look at Genesis 18 in the Old Testament where three angels are standing before Abraham in the heat of the day as he's at his tent door. And he runs before them, probably perceiving they're way more majestic than normal people, bows before them and says, can I make a good meal for you? And in essence, that's what he says. And, and they say yes. And he gets his servants to make all kinds, you know, a really good meal for them. You can read it there. And then as he's sitting and talking with them, he addresses the main leader of those three as Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God. Also, some people use the word Jehovah, but it's not as accurate in the original as the word Yahweh, which basically means the ultimate reality that is separate and above and beyond creation. The I am that I am. In Hebrew, it is Ahidya Asher Ahidya, which I am, pardon me, Ahiyah Asher, Ahiyah, okay. So, this is the I am that I am, the source of reality, communicating with the creation right there, Genesis 18, and in many other places before Christ came. And I could talk for a long time about many other aspects of that. Yes, God that created this vast universe, and it is really vast considering how vast it is now with the new space telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope, a million miles away from the Earth, a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble, has totally defeated the Big Bang Theory, so the top proponents of it no longer believe in it, many of them. Yes, the discoveries are amazing. And they know from all the stars they can see that there are so many stars. And consider this, light travels around the world seven times in one second. Takes, what, five years or seven years to get to the closest star? Some stars are a thousand times bigger than our sun. And there is in our galaxy alone between 200 billion and 400 billion stars. And I forget how many galaxies there are. It's in the billions sure of that because they know that there are so many stars from the ones they can only see that for every grain of sand there's a thousand of stars every grain of sand on the earth and for every eight billion people on the earth they would have is it 18 trillion or is it 80 trillion stars i forgot what they said on that and yet the creator could come down to this little speck of a planet and communicate with his creation because he created all things for his pleasure and our pleasure is only ultimately found in being restored in union with God and his love is so great that in Jesus Christ he humbled himself more than you a mere creature and suffered more than you a mere creature. So there is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that it is greater. Only this love could be entrusted with unlimited power and authority and life that is ever enlarging without end in creativity. And there is a destiny, and many people have died and have entered heaven that have been highly verified, have been dead on the operating table, some for almost two hours. There are some highly that are verified that have been dead for up to three days. I won't go on to share get sidetracked on that topic. 
Only this love can be who the one true eternal God is. And the other aspect of this love, or of the of one true eternal God, I should say, is that he must be in three personages and yet one God. Because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence. And if you are not in conscious intelligence, then the intelligent in those three aspects of existence, in other words, in personage, you could never rule in it. And that is what? Beyond creation as the Father, in the creation realm as the Son, the full expression of the Father who came, for example, into this world in Jesus Christ. And in omnipresence is the Holy Spirit and filling all dimensions of existence. It's an amazing fact that you are almost completely empty space. 99 point, I think it's 99.59% of you is empty space. That's how far all the things that make you up are together with empty space. How is that all put together? The atomic structure is very complex. The third dimension is very inferior to the other dimensions they've discovered up to the 10th and possibly more. And so I don't have time to get into talking about those things. So only this whom I have described is who the one true eternal God is. And I want to share with those that have come to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior this message. But before I do, I want to mention that you can go to my website at Ultimate Meaning under the contact link where there's some prayers you can pray with music or you can just pray on your own and call from the depths of your being and in your heart to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, I want to now get into the message. Now, these messages and all that I speak here are spoken from my heart without preparation. And the Word of God does say in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So I'm going to seek as I speak here from my heart without preparation to allow the Spirit of God to speak through me what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is saying to the churches throughout, especially Canada and the United States, but also around the world. In this particular time, and today is Sunday, October the 29th of 2023. Now, what I do is to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God, as I seek to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship, because it says in Revelations 19.10, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so when we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a heart of great reverence and awe and love for God, we are filled with a spirit and an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances coming from the spirit of God. In other words, we prophesy or speak as the oracles of God. And so I will seek allow God to speak through me by staying in a heart set and a mindset of worship to give a message to what God is saying to the churches in this time. 
part of what I do to facilitate that is I cast lots on the Bible to get the possibility of any two chapters using two independent random applications so that I get two chapters that would bear witness with each other as to the theme and the message that I discover in those two chapters. And then with only a half an hour of meditation, sometimes less, I speak the message. Today, because I'm only doing messages once a week, I will cover what God has been saying throughout this week from the passages of Scripture that I got. So we will now, first of all, before we do that, have a worship song. And this worship song is just one I chose that I thought would be fitting for the message. Sometimes I do that by the casting of Lot as well. So this is the message or the song, and I will minimize myself in a moment once this song begins to play. Oh, I fall away. Make me a 
first we must prepare the vessels that the oil they may contain. Dig the valley full of dishes that they may be filled with rain. First we must go through the Jordan, air anointed from above. First in death we must be baptized, then experience the brought me to tears at a certain point, but it was tears of joy. Tears of joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know what it comes out of? It comes out of total relinquishment of our life to entrust it into his hands. All of us we don't just die as Christians. Some die maybe more quickly than others. Some die really hard. 
And the greater the death, the greater the resurrection for those that have loved much and been forgiven, love the Lord all the more, it seems, from what Christ has said. It is true. And so, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, Christ said. The one that was willing to go right away and say, Lord, I'll follow you, was the one that ended up not following him. But the one fell away maybe into the world was the one that in the end decided to follow him. That doesn't mean that people that have not experienced all the corruption of the world and have lived a righteous life with very little exposure to that are not all the more blessed in the saving knowledge of God, if they have a life of prayer and of abiding in him, they will be brought to that place equally so with someone from a totally different background that has known the depths of corruption. Because it is not ultimately that, it is through abiding in Christ and that abiding works itself out in the dying to self in various ways. Each of our lives are a very different journey. But there's this process. As the word of God says, except a seed fall on the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. What I'm sharing with you is life abundant. Now, there are people that have been put through great trials. As believers, God has allowed them to be put through a great dying. Not that they necessarily even were dying to a selfish state of being. They may have already died to a selfish state of being. But they were being enlarged then into greater and greater enlargement in their conformity to being godly. In other words, being godly is being conformed to the being of God's love, which allows the greater and greater flow of the abundance of the life of the Spirit of God, which is the most fulfilling experience you can have. Nothing can satisfy the inner core of your being. You were created with a God vacuum that can only be filled with God. Yes, he's given us many things that he's created to joy, enjoy in this world and to experience pleasure, but he doesn't want us to be manipulated by the powers of darkness through those things or by people unused by the powers of darkness through those things. And so when we finally come to that place of entrusting everything into his hands, which often experiences means of terrible trials because we don't die easy, all of us. But when we finally let go, There's resurrection life. After you have suffered a while, he will strengthen, establish, and settle you, it says on the word of God. Now, I didn't plan to speak all of this. I will touch on what I received this week <clears throat> by the casting of Lot before God. I'm thinking of Brother Yungi Cho, not Brother Yungi Cho, 
Brother Yun, the heavenly man, Y-U-N, I believe. Um, <clears throat> you can look him up on YouTube. Who was tortured by the Chinese Communist Party in jail, terribly tortured, for 10 years. In fact, he was sent home. They thought he had died, and they sent him home. <laughs> and he came to life at one point. The things he went through are unbelievable. You, you can have listen to his audio book on the internet for free. I have a link to him and others on my homepage where I have a lot of links to news sources and so on. But does he experience the abundance of life? He has supernaturally escaped from prison like Peter, Peter the Apostle did, where prison doors opened supernaturally and the guard's eyes were blinded and he escaped to the West after being tortured 10 years. You can read the book. It's just totally miraculous what he went through. But can you imagine him going on a 74-day fast without food or liquid? He did. You could never live normally like that. He was such a mess, and they tortured him so terribly when he wasn't eating food during that whole time that the prisoners were gambling because they didn't. They want. They they said, "Well, he's going to die by the morning," and suddenly he gets up on some kind of little stool and preaches with power in front of them after he looked like a mangled little piece of nothing. And they were all converted from many backgrounds, religious backgrounds. Like there was Muslims, Buddhists, and so on. But these, he had his two legs broken with sledgehammers so he couldn't walk. His legs received strength. The jail door opens. He was given words of knowledge by the other prisoners that God was going to let him walk out of prison that day before it happened. You can read all about it or listen to the audio book. He goes right past the dark guards in broad daylight. They don't see him. The prison door happens to open because the guard's going the other way with someone. He walks through and he, no one sees him. He walks out and there's a taxi there waiting for him, takes him out, and he gets to Europe and he's even contacted people in the government in the United States with his story and how he was tortured. True story. Brother Young, the heavenly man. You can check him out and others there, men and women of God. Some of our journeys can be very difficult in the natural, but do you think he knows abundance of life? He knows a joy unspeakable and full of glory because he knows a deep abiding love relationship with the very source of love from which emanates beauty. It says, worship God and the beauty that comes out of holiness, which is the integrity of God's love. Yes, the source of beauty is the integrity of love that is so pure that will not allow corruption. How wonderful. We can know a destiny in heaven forever in a beautiful mosaic of individuality that makes up the family of God and many other creations and many varieties of angels and other creations throughout the whole universe coming together in something that is so beyond this inferior physical dimension that there's no comparison. This is good news, isn't it? Okay. Well, I guess we're going to have to go and do what I received this week. I want to do at least a message on what God is saying by the, his spirit to the churches. On Monday, I received Revelations chapter 13. 
and 1 Kings chapter 2. And I say here, the common theme and message between these two chapters is that of total loyalty and devotion that is expected of the Lord and also of those that follow Satan to worship the Antichrist. That's what you see in Revelations 13, the Antichrist is demanding total worship to him or you can't buy or sell or do anything unless you worship the beast. Not called a human being, called the beast. Probably a fallen angel uh, mingled with human blood. Anything less of the servants of the Lord resulted in the consequences of judgment without peace, resulting in death before God's appointed time to their highest purpose and good. And that's what we see in the other one in 1 Kings 2, 1 to 4. Because in 1 Kings 2, 1 to 4, we see God requiring total loyalty to the Lord. So we'll read what's highlighted in green here. It says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God. To walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord, that is Yahweh, may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fall, fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. But we know what happened to Solomon. He was seduced by very beautiful women, which took him away because they were worshiping heathen gods. It took his heart away and compromised it in his relationship with the Lord. But we go on in this chapter and we discover that the other charge that God, uh, that God gave through David to Solomon is to take vengeance on those that were not loyal to David, which means they were not loyal to the Lord because David was a man of God that was loyal to the Lord. And their relationship with David was not a wholehearted devotion. And so David says, Moreover thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zariah did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the hosts of Israel, unto Abner the son of Ner, and unto Amazah the son of Jethro, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his hoar head Go down to the grave in peace, but show kindness unto the sons of Brazilii, the Gileadite, and let them be those that eat at thy table, for they, for so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom, my brother. Now, Joab, he kind of joined not with Absalom, but of another one after him, Adonijah, that thought he would be king. And so he was unfaithful there to David in the end of his life. And he mentions others here, King David, 
that he wanted judgment to be brought upon them. And so again, we see that people die before their time as believers because their heart is not totally in love with God and they are compromised and that can reduce one into a place where their time is cut short in this world. Now, God himself says that. Christ says that. He says that if the vine or the tree doesn't bear fruit, dung it about, put it through trials, that maybe it will be brought to a place where it will bear fruit. But he says if it doesn't continue to bear fruit, cut it down. And so it's cut down because it is not fulfilling its purpose and calling. And so God is emphasizing the importance of an uncompromised, wholehearted, radical love for him. Not a partial, half-hearted love, where we are in love with the world. A wholehearted love with God is far more fulfilling than any outward pleasures that can titillate your emotions and your soul. We all have things that we tend to grasp onto. And we go through a process where God is so patient with me, especially, how patient he's been with me, how deceived I've been in certain areas. I've been kept single all my life, even though I wanted to be married. And I believe I'm at a place where finally the horse is not bucking the rider and I'm broken in and maybe he has someone to do ministry with me that I can really be attracted to and love and so I pray that happens, but whether it happens or not, I'm at that place where I recognize I must die to everything. doesn't mean I can't look for a wife. I have been actually proactive that way because the word of God is clear that you can plant seeds of possibility. I mean, how did Moses become uh, saved from death and one of the top people with Pharaoh because they put the baby in the water and then had the daughter stand near the water so that when the queen, I mean, they really did take some initiation of possibilities. They put themselves in a place where God could do that, which would be a little, actually a big miracle as well. Well, we go on. And um, what is God continuing to say here? Well, I've shown you some of the people that King David pointed out were not faithful to him, and I won't go into the details of more for time. On Tuesday, the two chapters I received were Proverbs 21 and Numbers 7. And I found after some time, sometimes it's hard to find the theme, but I find there's always a theme when God's in the casting of the lot. And Sometimes it's more clearly defined, others not as clearly defined. <clears throat> and so on Tuesday, God's voice speaks from the place of mercy and thus to use when in our hearts we are proactive of the integrity. Okay, this is written by a microphone, so it's not really worded. Actually, what I'm saying is that God voice speaks from the mercy seat and that's what we see in number seven it says in verse 
89, And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, that is, with God, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubims, and he spake, God spake unto Moses. So God speaks from the mercy seat. Now, the word of God says in the New Testament that he that works miracles among you does it by the hearing of faith. Now, the word faith is pistis, which basically means moral persuasion in God. It is the turning of our soul and spirit in a state of not being trusting in ourselves like a fist, but of reciprocation of who God is in his being, of holiness first, out of which then only can we experience the mercy of God, which obviously is the love of God as well. Because in the mercy of God, you have two aspects. You have the judgment of God, because you can't have mercy if you don't know the judgment of God. And the judgment of God is the integrity of God's love that will not tolerate corruption in our lives. And so the genuine fear of God is a choice to rightly perceive God as good and reciprocate God as good in his severity against corruption in our lives and to see all the corruption around us and not say, oh God, why did you allow all this suffering in my life and all the people around me and become unthankful, but to recognize God's judgment is just and right and good and acknowledge his goodness and, and come before him with our weaknesses where we discover we're falling short and have sinned against it, and confess our sins, not hide our sins, confess our weaknesses, not shrink back, and not believe that God can't forgive us, or, or fail to believe that God can give us the strength to overcome our weaknesses. We come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need. Now, when there is that reception of the mercy of God, which is the fear of God. The fear of God is the reception of the mercy of God, which contains those two aspects of his love. First, the integrity of his love, out of which springs the mercy of his love, and of course, then his grace as well. So it is in that place of abiding, and that is the secret of abiding, it is the fear of God. For the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. And it says of the Messiah in Isaiah 33, that the fear of the Lord is his treasure. It is the secret of oneness in the triunity of God himself, who is only one God. His name is Yahweh. The Son is called Yahweh. The Father is called Yahweh. The Holy Spirit is Yahweh because Yahweh is the very being of the perfection of the love of God that is in all three aspects of him ruling in the three ultimate aspects of existence as I described. Beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation and omnipresence is the Holy Spirit. So God is saying that he wants us to know a relationship with him. As it says in Proverbs 21, 21, he that followeth after righteousness and mercy 
findeth life, righteousness, and honor. And then in 30 to 31, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. And it goes on. And it says in the last part here in Proverbs 21, 1-4, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So there's the ways of man. But the Lord pondereth the heart. So you can deceive yourself to think you're following God, but God knows motives in you that you have deceived yourselves to justify that are not of God. And so God is saying further on here, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So that's one example of deception. We think that by sacrificing, we're pleasing God. By performance, we're pleasing God. And therefore, we justify motives of not coming into a full abiding love relationship with him. Because... We're believing, like Solomon, that he could have these women even though they had heathen gods. Well, he's, he could say, well, God, you know, I'm in this high position with all this authority and I need to have right relationships with these kingdoms. And so, yeah, I'm, I believe in you, God, and not in their gods. But, you know, I need to have, you know, and so you justify whatever it is. On the one hand, immorality. On the other hand, sacrifice out of your own sufficiency and performance when there's other things that are in your heart like the Pharisees that Christ said had all kinds of things in their heart, including adultery and so on. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. And believe me, the thing that can deceive believers is pride. What is the antidote to pride in our walk, in our pilgrimage to that heavenly destiny that goes on forever? It is the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord keeps us in the place of humility. When you see that you're undone and you see how great God's mercy is to you, when you really see that with your heart, so that there's a turning in your heart that causes a rending of your heart. It says, whenever the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away in 2 Corinthians 3, towards the last part, in the original. It talks in the context of that about the religious Jews having a veil over their Face in the reading of the Old Testament because they focused on performance and lost sight of the source of those Ten Commandments which God always, in the context of the Ten Commandments, commanded that they love him with all their heart and mind and being and strength and not get on merely the letter of the law. So that because I do this and this and this, therefore God will accept me. I've done my performance, God. Therefore you must be very pleased with me and this and this. Well, I believe you accept that because I've done this for you, God. Like Cain. 
What did they, why did the children of Israel end up offering their children in the fire to heathen gods? The root of it was basically because they never experienced coming to the place of the veil of their heart being rent. Whenever the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And in the last days in Zechariah, it says, and is it chapter 12? I believe it is. It says that just as Israel is, two-thirds of Israel will be wiped out by the nations that come against her and tortured and taken captive. But the one-third that is preserved is completely protected by God. But at that time when Christ returns, their Messiah, it says they will look on me. That's referring to Yahweh in that verse. They will look on me whom they have pierced. And that was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came to the earth. They will look on me whom they have pierced. And it's a prophecy yet to be fulfilled at the second return of Yeshua HaMashiach in Hebrew, which is Jesus Christ in English, the Messiah of the whole world and especially of Israel. when Moses was gone into the tabernacle. So God is wanting, he's saying to us that if we have this deep abiding relationship and recognize the greatness of his mercy and reciprocate it, we are in that place of moral persuasion because we are persuaded in his love and faith works by love. So moral persuasion works by the right reception of the love of God, which is in those two aspects that are in the mercy of God. And so then there is the hearing from God. Doesn't mean everyone has the same gift of hearing God, like Samuel, who could hear him literally talking in his ears, or like Moses, that heard him audibly at the mercy seat. But there is many aspects to the hearing of God in our lives, and truly we can hear him. It doesn't mean he's going to speak in every detail, but as we learn more and more to abide in him, we will find more and more we're not walking in presumption that even in the little details of our lives, we're saying, oh God, what should I do next? How many times I just go ahead and do things and don't think about it and then after wonder why I got all this time wasted. I still haven't learned to be that perfect. We're all learning. We're all on a journey coming into a greater and greater love relationship with Christ. Well, I didn't even get a chance to write down here what Acts 18 and Haggai 1 is about. But Acts 18 is about, uh, it says here, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. This is Paul. He's, you know, in places where they're going to bring him before crowds of people and possibly try to stone him, I guess. For I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee for i have much people in the city so that's acts there and what is it in haggai what is it saying there this is about the restoration of the temple and this is what god is saying to his people right now if you look at haggai 1 3 to 5 it says then came the word of the yahweh by haggai the prophet saying is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? 
and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith Yahweh of hosts, consider your ways. But what happened? They did. They took heed and recognized they were more interested in their own houses, in their own making of money and wealth, that they were not willing to sacrifice that for putting the kingdom of God first, in this case, the building of the temple. And God, in this hour, is saying by his spirit, Church, you are not my temple yet. You are still occupied very much with your own ways and your own little niches of denominative security in your own little denominations. And also in your lives, it's that way. And he's saying by his spirit, throw off the shell of denominative mindset and heart set and repent of being denominational and divisive. For God is saying, I want you to receive one another as I received you. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jezedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before Yahweh. It is the fear of God, which I have defined as rightly reciprocating who God is, when Satan sowed doubt into Eve's Mind at that moment she lost the fear of God. May we be those that have unconditional love and faith in Yahweh and rise up at this hour to let go of all of our entanglements and have a vision for a new order to come into the body of Christ that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting local assemblies across the United States and across Canada and throughout the world because the Lord's zeal is to bring forth his conquering bride church in these last days and fulfill John 17 and Ephesians 4 that we come into the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find this faith upon the earth? Yes, he will, as truly as I live, says the Lord. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. For the word of God says in Isaiah that he will cause the whole earth to be filled with praise, as the springing forth of buds in a garden. His zeal will perform it. question is, is he going to go right past so-called churches and start churches that are totally new and pure because the typical church is so denominative and in love with the world? Or are they going to wake up and throw off the shackles of their sleep and awake from their sleep and rise and shine in this hour of gross darkness? And it is very dark. And right now, God is cornering Israel so that their very lives are in jeopardy. Their very existence is in jeopardy so that they are waking out of all the priorities that are being shaken through this trial 
to know a union with God that will cause the living stones that have now received the flesh and the sinews to rise up and come to that place where the Spirit of God will fill them. And the same is true around the world in local assemblies. He is calling forth his army to come into the unity of this faith. I've written a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which you can get on Amazon, which suggests things you can do in your assembly. It's a little different looking now on Amazon. 250 some odd pages of outline. It suggests everything you can do in your assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from abiding in your local assemblies. No longer do we start church services and have by pre-service prayer meetings. No, the church service is the prayer meeting itself. It starts with this on our knees. His house must become a house of prayer again. And the church must repent of loving the world and become his house of holiness. Your pleasure and your fulfillment isn't going to be found in the temporal loves of this world, of idleness, of the pleasures of material things. It's only found in him, so why are you wasting your time and not becoming the virgins with the extra oil, ready for his coming? Repent of the gods of amusement and sports that you waste so much time on, that stumble many into a prayerless life. Repent of the gods of materialism and idleness, of pleasures. And find your pleasure, which is far greater in a relationship with God. It's like anything in life. You've got to be willing to lose your life to find it. If you want to feel good physically, you've got to put yourself through the painful dying of self-mortification of your body and weightlifting and doing aerobics, or you're going to be a blob. And you're going to experience a very shallow life physically. The same is parallel in the spiritual realm. And so it should be a common message in the body of Christ that we learn to circumcise our hearts. You talk about a love relationship with God going stale. The reason it goes stale is because of not knowing the secret of the turning of the heart out of reciprocating who God is in a place that facilitates it in assembly. Because the other aspect of assembly is that there should be total liberty and freedom and facilitation and encouragement by the leadership to cause each member of the body to function in their gifts and to give them the opportunity. They don't need to ask permission to use the mic. Just let them function in the gifts of the Spirit. So there's a bit of a mess. God in these last days wants his people to come together and church isn't boring when you allow creativity to flow through each member of the body. But if they never do that, they lose their creativity and whatever gifts that comes forth as. You wonder why so many of the modern songs are so shallow and boring with shallow tunes? That's because everything's done at the front. The members of the body are not functioning. Sometimes it's just entertainment. There's a tendency of it to be entertaining and people not to be engaged. We're to stir up the gifts of God. Well, I could go on talking, couldn't I, for a long time here. I must touch on a few more. Oh, boy. 
October. On Thursday, I received October 26, 1 Samuel 30, and Zephaniah 3. Both of these chapters describe a great distress that the people of God found themselves in, and the enemy that they clearly needed to destroy, who had robbed them of what was most precious to them, such as their wives, sons, and daughters. That's exactly what's happened in Israel right now. And they are in great distress. Do you think what's happening in Israel is not going to happen in the whole world and to you, in your country, and your little comfortable niche? God's going to shake all things that are shakable. That what's unshakable might remain. So don't justify being a lukewarm church. In both chapters, there is great deliverance and full restoration of what was robbed from them, plus far more. Both chapters reveal that it was not just the strong and healthy that received reward, but also those that were weaker and could not fight. In both chapters, they turned to the Lord and waited on him for his guidance to bring deliverance. What happened to David in this historical account is a picture of what will happen to Israel in the last days, as prophesied in Zephaniah 3. So we have Zephaniah 3. And we have 1 Samuel 30, where David has comes back. They come back and all their wives and children are taken and the town is burned. And they're going to stone David and he encourages himself in the Lord. And what a deliverance happened because why? He waited on God. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He consulted the ephod before Abathar the priest to get the direction of God in a trial instead of just letting the trial cause him to panic and lose trust in God. He didn't panic. You know, there's a scripture that says your strength is to be still. God emphasizes if you can learn that, then you will be delivered. Basically, that's the essence of what he said. And so God is saying to the body of Christ that he is wanting us as his people as we are about to face great shakings and so on and also a great harvest that is coming to be those that learn to wait on him as King David waited on God and received direction. We see the same description in Zephaniah. In Zephaniah, you have the description of the same thing happening. And it says, therefore, in Zephaniah 3, 8 to 13, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation even all my fierce anger for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy, for then will I turn to the people of pure language, that they may all call upon the name of Yahweh, to serve him with one consent. It goes on, and it says this, For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. 
So there are people, Gentiles, I suppose, that want to identify themselves with Israel, but in doing that, they have a tendency to be proud, to think we are the elect, we are special, and God will not tolerate any pride. If we have the genuine fear of God, there's no room for pride because it drives you to the place of honesty, which drives you to the place of humility and vice versa. It drives you to the place of humility, which drives you to the place of honesty before God. Transparency keeps you in the secret place of the Most High. The secret of abiding oneness in God is the opposite of pride. Pride comes because of the failure to abide in the fear of God, to abide in God through the fear of God. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of Yahweh. The remnant of Israel shall do, not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. And it goes on, and it's a beautiful description of God coming back to Israel in marriage to Israel and to the people of God. And then we have Friday, 1 Timothy 6 and 2 Samuel 7. In both these chapters, there is a command to keep the charge of the Lord in ministry to the people of God that will result in ongoing blessing and eternal life. Timothy repeats the statement to lay hold on eternal life in warning against seeking temporal riches. And I wish I could... This, 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 these two chapters I could preach a powerful message on. This is about riches. People seeking to be rich, seeking to have material wealth as believers, and warning against that, and emphasizing to lay hold on eternal life. And so he's given a charge. And in 2 Samuel, it's King David basically being told what will happen. To, he's older and he's, he's being prepared to go into heaven soon, to transition from this dimension into that far superior dimension in heaven. And um, so it's kind of like an encouraging encouragement to King David, but actually the charge I read earlier when we had the account of King David giving a charge to Solomon, although this is also like a charge to King David, but not so much a charge like the previous chapter, but I'm realizing the time is too long here to go and share much more on here. And today I received Leviticus 25 and Hebrews 7 and the common analogy between those two is that it's about the Jubilee in Leviticus 25. And it says that it's on the Day of Atonement there to blow the trumpet. And in Hebrews 7, we have the Messiah being described, who is the one that atones for our sin. And I don't believe I have time to preach much longer. I've been preaching for some time. And so thank you for listening to this message and do support me. You can go to my website. I will be having a few problems with loverealize.com fixed soon. 
in the near future I am working on new design that is uh, going to cause those few flaws on there to go away. So uh, thank you and you can support me on my website either by purchasing my book or whatever you want but I'm not a non-profit at this time. I may start something like that up in the future but I appreciate your support. I need a place to start holding meetings. I'm planning to do that and I need a miracle for God to provide me the money to have a place to start holding meetings because the people here in my co-op are not allowing religious meetings like I wanted them to allow me to have until they allowed it in the past. So pray that God will open the door for me to have some place to begin meetings in order to have a platform to get this message across the nations and also to bring forth a church like the one I described that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ in assembly around Christ in these last days. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.